The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis. Sitting next to Ethan Broga, who is also a CFP with a uh, Master's Degree in Financial Planning. We're both partners in wealth management firm Empirical Wealth Management. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. That's our objective here. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thanks, Ken. Good to be here. We are broadcasting live in downtown Seattle. So if you would like to call in throughout the program today, do so at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. If you want to shoot us an email instead with any questions, comments, or thoughts throughout the program, shoot an email over to contact at empiradio.com. Or a song contact request, song request maybe song request yeah um, contact at empiradio.com. dot com and uh, if you are listening to this on the archive feel free to send us uh, shoot that shoot us an email throughout the week um, and we'll be happy to follow up with it a lot of the things and topics that we do discuss we get ideas from you and other investors that we meet as we're doing our uh, mission of, of helping investors make smarter financial decisions. So please, please feel free to do that. And uh, we'd love to talk about something that's on your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, either if you want to talk about how we can help you, if you're a listener, individual investor out there, or a financial advisor is looking for a place to sure. connect. Yeah, you know, today I actually got a, I got a call from uh, a person here in Seattle who was looking for some help. Uh, basically, the, the real question is, hey, they want to know if they can retire the way that they want. And uh, in this case, they were just in, in exactly the right zone for the types of folks that we can help the most. Uh, they're about uh, in their late 50s, um, contemplating retirement in the next six months or so, uh, have some assets in a, in a taxable account, have some assets in a, in a 401k at work, uh, have a pension. They both qualify for Social Security. And uh, and good for them. They're, they're, they're going out there now and, and looking for some help. Um, and I explained how we work with folks, and, and we dive into all those details to help them maximize each one of those decisions, and help them understand the how interdependent they are. You know, when to take Social Security, the different types of strategies involved around that particular decision, how to, how best to take the company pension that they have as well. There are different things you can do with that. Uh, in addition to just receiving the pension, there are many different options for for receiving the pension. Right, right. Talking about different types of accounts that they have: taxable accounts versus IRA accounts versus four hundred one ks. 
and what's the best strategy to 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 invest those assets in, in the most tax appropriate manner, um, and have that all go through a very uh, well thought out cash flow and retirement plan. So lots and lots of decisions to be made, and obviously I think we can help these folks uh, a great deal. And we're going to together next week. And if you're in a similar situation, um, you know there's no obligation consultation to to talk with us for an hour or two and and uh, get to know what what we can do for you better, and uh, what we can you know uh, learn about your situation as well. So give I, us a call. Yeah, definitely. I think from what I've seen in the, the people that we've been meeting, Ethan is that there are critical decisions to be made with your planning for retirement. You have years. Yep. Um, the differences and the choices that you make around how you plan and how you invest your money mm-hmm. can be enormous um, in the realm of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not into the million, Right. based on how you decide to engage in that path. And um, So getting a second pair of eyes that have the credentials and a lot of experience and the right financial um, arrangement is critical to, to maximizing or optimizing that. I think that most people can be financially independent if they put the right plan together and execute on it early enough. And for those that are getting close to retirement mm-hmm. or within a decade, um, they have less time to change course You know, in terms of what they've spent their lifetime building and accumulating. And now it's really optimizing the decisions so that they get the most out of what they've the resources that they've built and they make with the time that they do have left heading into that period that they make the best decisions about when to transition how to transition out of work and how to harness the power of of their financial resources and i think the earlier these things are examined the, the better off you are you know if you were if you're 65 versus 55 in thinking about planning for retirement Giving yourself an extra 10 years to execute the strategy you're going to develop is significant. Right. So the earlier the better, uh, in my view, in terms of planning, because they're, you know, as, as a person who's in, doing their job their whole life, if you work at, say, Starbucks or Boeing or wherever you work, uh, you, you typically are not involved uh, in becoming an expert in all the different areas of your financial life. You're probably an expert in what you do for a living, but not other things out there. And therefore, it's hard to know what you don't know. Right. So that's a very good reason to come talk to an expert about these things that we spent, you know, my entire adult life has been spent trying to figure out these things and be very good at them, basically. Um, and, and people are in our firm. Um, so I think there's a lot of value to be had there. So give us a call. And if you're in retirement, where, where we come in is there are still very critical decisions sure. to be made there. It's a different set of decisions, mm-hmm. but one of those being, and one of the things I've spent a great deal of time working on is how do I get, how do I how can I be as confident as I can that I won't run out of money within my lifetime and that I don't have to make major sacrifices in my lifestyle? And there, when you're in retirement, it's very critical that you are harnessing, again, the power of what you have invested and that you're acutely aware of what risk you are taking. And there's all kinds of risks that we Mm -hmm. face Mm -hmm. during that period. But what risk is it we're exposing ourselves to? And... uh, and how do we manage that? And so and we spent a lot of time figuring that out. How will we get the income we need um, now and have the lifestyle that you want? How much money can you take out of this portfolio? And that's a very dynamic process. I mean, it's constant debates and and, and uh, mentions of this in the, in the media about 
withdrawal rates, for example. And I feel that you can't, not only is each client or individual different about the way that they'll draw income out throughout their retirement, the options they have to work or not work, um, what they want to do with their with their financial mm-hmm. resources, but you have a market that changes constantly. Um, interest rates in one environment may be different than in another environment. Inflation and how that affects our ability to manage our cash flow through retirement may be very different in one time period versus a different time period or throughout your retirement withdrawal phase than than someone who's already in that phase right now. So all of these things need to be accounted for. There's no rule of thumb in that situation that I think anyone should trust um, their their financial security and retirement around that it should really be evaluated based on the time and their complete set of circumstances and getting somebody who can help uh, not just pick investments in isolation but someone who can coordinate all of these things together will give you the greatest chance of of having the highest level of fulfillment and security in retirement exactly so give, if you want to talk to us about that, give us a call uh, during the week. You can call anytime, 206, uh, let me give you the 800-923-4307 is our, is our number here at the firm. It's mm-hmm. uh, 800-923-4307, and you can ask for Ethan Broga or Ken Smith, and we'll be happy to talk to you about that. Sounds good. Ethan, uh, market was up again today. I thought we could just quickly start with our weekly update on sure. the market, but uh, the Dow was up over 128 points today, closing at 15,628. The S&P 500 up 21 points, uh, closing at 1706. Hmm. Um, pretty high levels. Yeah. Over the last um, week, the S&P 500 is up almost a full 1% for the week hmm. since our, our show last week, hmm. and... Uh, the um, interestingly, that the IFA um, index is actually about flat over last week, slightly down. Um, merging markets down about a half a percent, so they continue to uh, trail behind. Yeah, um, gold was down one point four seven percent since our show last week. That's twenty one point seven percent for the year. Wow, year to date, that is. Um, where the S&P 500 is up about 19.68% for the year, year-to-date. Uh, for the last trailing 12 months, it's up over 24%. We have uh, a five-year treasury at 1.49%, 10-year treasury 2.71%. That's a little bit lower than last week on the 10-year treasury. Mm-hmm. Actually, a little higher on the five-year, if these numbers are correct. Um <laughs> are we questioning the source no, here? No, no, I'm just saying. All right. Um, the, uh, real quick, I like to look at the inflation protected. looks uh, like the five years unchanged, negative 0.45 is the yield. And um, so that's an implied inflation rate of about 1.94% to break even between the five-year inflation protected treasury and the regular uh, nominal treasury. Mm-hmm. The 10-year is a positive 0.48% is the nominal yield, and so the break-even there is about 2.23% inflation. Um, yeah, prime rate's unchanged. Uh, One-year CD rate, about unchanged. 
six-tenths of a percent on the national average. And the uh, 30-year mortgages are still 4.39, which was unchanged from last last week, according to this. Um, so market's continuing to do reasonably well and hold its its gains for the year, Ethan. No doubt. True enough. Um, last week, just as a reminder, I had a couple put out a uh, bet about um, market predictions. And I just want to remind you that that um, still stands. I did confirm. I said, hey, assuming that I could get that approved with compliance. I spoke with our compliance officer, Ethan. And as long as it's a personal oh. uh, deal, we're not utilizing our company for that that bet. And the bet, if you have any questions about that, feel free to email us or call us. But uh, I was challenging more than a bet someone to... Um, as we were reading through some of the articles and talking about active um, market money managers and uh, market timers and newsletter writers and all these guys and Jim Cramer and everybody else, if they really knew what they were doing, they would gladly relieve me of the $10,000 um, that I put up at stake. And if, if they get it wrong and I win, I would give it to a charity. And the idea being that they would select... Um, which sectors of the market would, would would go up over the next 12 months from where we do this in order, mm-hmm. rank them, and then put a range around the returns that they would get. And the same thing with any individual stocks. They'd rather take the S&P 500, pick the top 10 stocks I see. that they think will perform uh, and some range around the returns there. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's get ready to rumble. But, uh, so far, no one has... has but interested, and uh, I don't know for whatever that means. Unbelievable! I'm yeah, sh- I'm shocked too. Yeah. I really can't believe it. Okay, uh, I thought we could go through a few articles here. I think we should. Okay. Um, I thought we could talk about a couple of articles that were passed my way regarding the usual suspects and the uh, <laughs> advisory business that we that we compete with, Ethan. I guess I don't really think we compete against these groups as much as. Um, Coexist, I guess, with them. Yeah. But um, number one, uh, Wells Fargo advisors ordered to pay investor $1.8 million for losses um, from a FINRA panel. An arbitration panel ordered Wells Fargo and Company's retail brokerage unit to pay a retired real estate broker $1.8 million um, for losses tied to investments in soda and pharmaceutical companies. I thought we'd read through this, Ethan, then we could just talk about why we don't invest this way, the way that that this individual was invested, Mm -hmm. even if they asked us to. um, Why wouldn't we do that? But we've got to take a break, I just realized, Ethan. So when we come back, we'll start with this discussion about Wells Fargo having to pay $1.8 million uh, for losses that that an investor incurred. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. 
That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Great, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Which is nice. Thank you, Ken. It is nice. (laughs) Uh, We were just talking about uh, some significant losses for Wells Fargo. Is that according to me? That sounds very similar. Um, Wells Fargo advisors were ordered to pay investors. Oh, yes. Where were we? Where were we? We're about to read an article or at least dive a little deeper into the article. Uh, Let's reiterate. Wells Fargo advisors ordered to pay $1.8 million for losses. Yeah. And uh, what, we, what we have here is a classic situation. Um, Philip, this is, by the way, this article um, is in the wall. got it out of the Wall Street Journal here. Right. Philip uh, Lavelle accused Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo broker John Meacham of having him invest his money in thinly traded securities that left his portfolio with little diversification and unsuitable for his retirement said Mr. Lovell's lawyer, Mark Selden Rosen. Mr. Lovell's claims against Wells Fargo include violation of the firm's fiduciary duty, which Ethan likes to talk about. He loves to say that word, fiduciary. It's very fancy. Um, And he's a fancy guy. Fiduciary duty and negligence, according to the ruling from the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority Arbitration Panel. Um... Let's talk. As is customary, the panel didn't provide details on the reasoning for its decision, which was dated July 30. Mr. Meacham and Wells Fargo denied the claims according to the ruling. Well, that's no shocker, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. Mr. Uh, Lovell's portfolio did well initially, Mr. Rosen said, but the commercial real estate broker retired in the year 2004, and by then the investments were too concentrated in the startup pharmaceuticals with no earnings history, Mr. Rose said. Mr. Rosen said Mr. Lovell wanted to sell his shares in 2006 and 2007 because he was concerned about their value, but Mr. Meacham talked him out of it. The broker was trusted completely, Mr. Rosen said. The shares named in the arbitration case were Jones Soda, Nectar, Nectar Therapeutics, Punyard Pharmaceuticals, and Helicos Biosciences Corp. All four took a sizable hit during the financial crisis. Shares of Jones Soda and Helicos, for example, fell from $28 and $13, respectively, to below a dollar. Wow. Each of them. That's an enormous drop. Mr. Rosen said there were ample red flags for Mr. Meacham's supervisor, 
but nobody stepped in. There need be greater checks and balances, he said. The entire relationship was, quote, a disaster. Wells Fargo hmm. didn't have an immediate comment. I wouldn't say the whole thing was a disaster. Oh. I mean, for the first five years, they, or four years, okay, right? Uh-oh. A little goofy. Well, how do you, how do you mean, Nathan? Well, I mean, from a... What was, do you mean by that? It sounds like the, bro- the, the client was pretty okay while things were going up. Which when, they, when they're going down, they didn't like that part a little bit. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, all I'm saying is, I think there's a blame on both sides of this particular story, Mike, in, in my point of view, anyway. Well, he didn't recover all of his losses. What I didn't mention, Ethan, is that he demanded compensation for $9 million in losses. Oh, wow. So what they returned to him was $1.8 million. Oh, I see. Um, that's what it appears from the article, what yeah. I can glean out of the article. Yeah, so that sure. sounds like there was mutual responsibility. Mm-hmm. They didn't um, return all of the losses, but they were, I mean, $1.8 million is a lot of money. No doubt. To, to return. But it sounds like the, um, I'm just reading it, but mm-hmm. it sounds like, yeah, he, uh, he didn't get everything he lost. Right, right, okay. So there was shared responsibility. Um, let's see here. Wells Fargo didn't have any immediate comment. Hmm. A lawyer for Mr. Meacham didn't immediately return a phone call to seek comment. Mr. Meacham had also borrowed $50,000 from Mr. Lavelle. Interest-free and without Wells Fargo's approval. Wells Fargo prohibits such loans from customers, probably because it's illegal, Wow! uh, to their brokers. And Mr. Meacham was suspended for three months, according to the documents on FINRA's websites. Wells Fargo discharged Mr. Meacham in 2010 for violations related to the handling of records, according to FINRA. He was permitted to resign from Chapin Davis Investments in 2012. Hmm. Mr. Meacham filed for bankruptcy in 2013, according to the arbitration ruling. Therefore, the panel made no determination with respect to the claims against Meacham, the ruling said. So I I just, I think there's a few things that we could talk about here. Sure. Um, Because, you know, I I certainly wouldn't want to rely on recovering losses from my so-called broker Mm -hmm. because of um, because of unscrupulous behavior, behavior and failure uh, to properly oversee from the supervision and the compliance departments down there, um, and these pop up all the time. I just did not let them start forwarding them yeah. to me, so we can. As we have said many times, we're, I'm shocked that people continue to do business in areas where these kinds of things happen all the time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and interestingly enough, they pay a premium to get this kind of advice. Uh, it's not that in a lot of the cases they're going to the cheapest places. It's a little counterintuitive almost. A lot of the places where the biggest, most egregious violations occur happen to be places that are pretty expensive to do business with. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, which is just interesting to me mm-hmm. that you're not getting what you're paying for in respect unless you're paying to get ripped off. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people know that there's an alternative out there relative to, to this situation. I mean, you'd think they just, might, they just don't know, right? I don't, I don't know. Like Mr. Lowell, do you think he knew that there were independent advisors like ourselves that don't buy... Don't peddle on penny um, stocks. Penny stocks right. for I, someone who's retired, or, by the way. And I don't see anything about 
a balanced portfolio or anything. It just sounds like his entire portfolio. And again, I'm only getting the article here that uh, Matthias Riker wrote in the Wall Street Journal, July 31st. Yeah. Um, so I don't have all the details of the case, but there isn't any discussion about, um, I mean, to have $9 million of losses must have been a pretty uh, pretty large portfolio to start with. Agreed. But I don't see a lot in there about um, bonds or more conservative investments or how that all fit in. Or, or even just any general diversification among stocks. It's just, right. It sounds like it's four concentrated positions. I mean, I don't know, maybe he has a $100 million portfolio, so I don't really know, but... In any case, it doesn't sound like it, there, there, there was wise decisions on the broker's part or the, the investor's part. So I think our advice, Ethan, if we were summing this up on the investor side, is understand uh, the risks that you're taking with investments. If you don't understand how much risk you're taking because your broker hasn't explained it to you or you haven't invested the time to have them explain it, or and our view and the whole concept of empiricals, is there some empirical data around that or research yeah. that supports the strategy? So it's buying a, a, a very small number. I mean, in this case, we're talking about uh, one, two, three, four different stocks. Mm-hmm. That, um, And I don't know that that – I'm assuming that – they don't mention any other stocks. So I'm assuming that most of those losses came because they were he was highly concentrated in such a small number of stocks. Um, the evidence that that's a bad idea is overwhelming, right? <laughs> It's, it's overwhelming and pervasive for someone who's open to looking for evidence on how I should be managing my portfolio mm-hmm. um, or getting the right help. And so the element of responsibility that has to lie on you as the investor is there's certainly the opportunity to gamble um, in the market and treat it like a casino. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's investing as well. And there's a difference between speculating and investing. And you should have a good idea of what those two are. Uh, and so if you're getting advice when you, while you're speculating, you know, if you're taking advice from someone in the casino who's sitting next to you at the table or the dealer, it doesn't change the fact that it's still speculating. You should understand that what you're doing is speculation, right? Now, there are certain things you can do there that may be better than other things, right, to help minimize how much you lose. And um, you're increasing your opportunity of winning as much as you can, but... It doesn't change the odds or the danger. Right. And I, I think that there, there needs to be a clear understanding with the public that hey, because someone calls themselves an advisor uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the strategy has any, any sense or any um, place in your, in your portfolio or your retirement. Particularly, this person's retired. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, on the brokerage side in this fiduciary responsibility, I thought maybe you could talk about what that means in this case. If if there were a fiduciary responsibility, why did it get violated with this? Yeah, you know, I'm not uh, – well, there's, in terms of the fiduciary standard, you have, you have um, not just a, a moral obligation, but you also have a legal obligation to do the right thing. And in this case, one of the rules that they cite often enough for this is that sort of the, the prudent person or prudent man rule. What would a prudent person do in a situation where you're in retirement? And would you be buying highly speculative stocks in concentrated positions? Well, probably not, right? You'd have a diversified portfolio, right? You'd own numerous, right. numerous types of positions, numerous asset classes, even some that don't even behave like each other, like stocks and bonds, right? That would be a normal, um, a typical type of thing to happen in retirement. Uh, or heck, any time. <laughs> it doesn't have to be just in retirement, especially in retirement. Um, 
But in terms of, I, I don't know the the relationship specifically with the, with that this broker has, um, and why they're under the the fiduciary standard. I I was mostly or more familiar with the idea that most most rep, registered representatives out mm-hmm. there that work for brokerage companies that they aren't under the, the fiduciary standard, or that may be in this particular case. Well, I had read not too long ago that Wells Fargo was putting themselves out, um, and I don't know if it's because they're setting themselves up at, with a with a uh, an investment advisory situation. Oh, it could be that they that they were um, holding themselves out as fiduciaries, and so I, I maybe we could have Lynn do a little research on that. If that's the case, at the bottom then, of what Wells Fargo is doing there. If that's the case, then the, the brokerage firm, the, the firm itself, Wells Fargo, is just as culpable as the the, the, the agent in this case. And what I was going there's two levels of this, yeah, right? Of, right. Is ignorance an excuse to not provide? or meet a fiduciary responsibility? No. So if the broker said, hey, I don't know any better. I was just, I'm here selling stocks. I read these research reports yeah. that get put out, and I'm recommending them to my client, versus what that prudent investor rule actually states about diversification and, and, and what a person of reasonable intelligence and experience in this industry, for example, would do. Um, just because I don't know about it, does that, does that exclude or preclude me from being held to that responsibility? Yeah, no, if, you're, you're, if you are in the fiduciary arena, it's your duty to know. Okay. Right. And on the firm level, I think the issue I have, and this brings up a, a bigger conversation, mm-hmm. Ethan, we, maybe we'll have to, we can start it and talk about it after the break, is if you're dealing with an investment company or brokerage company or any of these guys, one of the problems I've had early on in my career is that most of them do not have sound investment philosophy that they adhere to and and when we you know we're going to take a break when we come back i just i'd like to talk about that sure and why is that meaningful you know to you as the investor um where brokers are doing all things to all people for all people i also wonder who's the underwriter with these particular companies yeah what did wells fargo bring these to market i wonder well we'll talk about that we got to take a quick break and we'll be right back with empirical investing radio the boardroom to you voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at empiricalfs.com that's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Here, Ethan Boga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, we're just uh, talking further about the uh, article that appeared in the recent Wall Street Journal. Um, Wells Fargo advisor ordered to pay 1.5, uh, 1.8 million in losses. And so, kind of going to wrap up that conversation here. Going into the break, there, Ethan, I was saying that uh, there's a bigger issue that I or just that I want to bring out, and that's a philosophical one in which you go to a financial company and, the, and it gets confusing between are they here to provide me with sound advice and actually help me succeed or are they here to let me do whatever I want to do right because there's plenty of online brokerage companies that you can trade at very cheaply and if you want to lose all your money doing that you're, you're welcome to do that right but if you're if you're actually acting as the role of hey I'm providing you with some kind of guidance or advice and you're doing that, and, and now we're talking about this idea of being a fiduciary, where your interests go behind that of the clients, the way that you're compensated and the way that you may perceive the world to be, really comes secondary to doing what's right for the client, for the investor. Mm-hmm. If you allow that relationship to, to occur, and my issue with these big brokerage companies historically has been they want to be all things to all people. They don't want to adhere to, hey, what is, what are some fundamental principles that apply that we're going to have a backbone around. So we're not going to, we're going to hold ourselves out as these smart advisors that are giving great advice, right? But we'll allow someone to own three or four stocks. So only, right? Only three or four stocks. As part of our system. And we'll get compensated some way in that. I'm assuming that there was some kind of compensation going around here for the broker to get paid besides just getting free interest-free personal loans from the client. (laughs) That <laughs> um, for some reason, he, some way, he was making money. Yeah, I, I would suspect that's but true. He, that's secondary to the advice. Doesn't the fact that you don't get paid a lot doesn't change that you get bad advice or make you less liable for that? Mm-hmm. But you're holding yourself out as some sort of a guy. And on the company level, the issue here is: is it okay to say, well, we don't really believe in anything. We don't utilize any of our resources here to actually try to provide. A standard of, of how investing should be done. So if, if you want to gamble, we have a section for that, and you take on that responsibility and you sign all kinds of disclosures or whatever that says, hey, you're, you're doing this for fun and it's not, you're not taking the advice of us. But you have thousands of brokers all over the country, and everyone gets to make up their own investment philosophy, basically, none of which has to be guided by any kind of research, right, or third... Uh, statistically tested mm-hmm. process. Right. It's, hey, I get ideas or I read reports and we should buy these startup companies because I think we'll all be rich if you do. It, it sets up a very, to me, it's a very flawed system. Um, and agree. why these things happen all, time and time again. Um, you know, we have an investment philosophy that we research. We have a committee that we review this, this with. And we don't have rogue advisors running around putting people in penny stocks 
And there's a reason for that, because we don't believe that that, that is investing, and we're currently not offering speculation here. Right. Right? And so we don't have, we haven't had these kinds of suits, but partially because we haven't been, we don't allow that to occur. Right. Because we do follow the prudent investor rule to the best of our ability, Mm -hmm. right? We're looking at, hey, does it make sense to diversify um, and and educating and providing that? So to me, that's where these, why these things occur in part is that you have brokers that can really do whatever they want. There is no, Hey, this is as a firm where we stand on diversification. Here's where we stand on market timing. Here's where we stand on putting people's money in a in um, these types of securities or all in one industry or all in one type of actively managed product that has X kind of stocks and bonds. Or here's our philosophy as a firm around how you arrive at the allocation between very risky investments and very conservative or more conservative investments, right? There's absolutely nothing other than really how do we get around the industry minimum of protecting ourselves somehow. And I think, in, unfortunately, in more of these cases than not, what comes out away on the company level is not changing the system or the way they're doing business, but going, how, could we have, how do we get around this? What disclosures or what do we need to have the person sign so that when this happens, we're... We're not responsible. We're not yeah, sure. that's what comes out of it. Not, yeah. hey, why are we giving advice? Why are we allowing advice to be given this way? Why are we allowing someone in retirement to lose a good chunk of their assets because we're not because the, the broker wasn't held to any kind of standard of investing? There's no investment principles around how he was building this portfolio. Yeah, I can't believe it. That's my two two cents worth on that, Ethan. Yeah, I'm I'm still surprised. I mean, I guess I'm not really surprised because that's it's. There's a big, big incentive for folks to do things this way, you know, because they make more money at it probably. Um, but I, for in terms of the individual investors making the choices to work with those types of firms, I, I can't believe that most people are not aware of, of a better option out there, which is again the the independent, you know, advisors like us basically, um, who are giving advice, really based on the fiduciary duty that we have, and that's substantiated and back tested. Um, I don't know. I wish that we could broadcast that message out there uh, even even more loudly than we do. Well, moving right along, there's another article here, B of A to revamp Merrill fees. While we're, well, we'll get this all out of our system, and then we'll move <laughs> on to some other topics here. Uh, Bank of America Corp. plans to raise fees for thousands of customers at its Merrill Lynch brokerage arm. By the way, backing up, if you are working in any of those environments that we just read the walls for, um, and you like to talk to us, we'd be happy to talk to you about how we're different and the approach we take is different. Um, and they can try to dress it up in a lot of different ways by saying, well, we have fee-based programs. But the, fundamentally, the way that the company gets paid and, and across their different areas and their investment philosophy, as I was saying, do they even have one, are the key issues that it's going to take them. And as they're losing money rapidly over the last decade or two, to independent advisors. They're trying to adjust to that, but it's it's almost like they're getting pulled into it kicking and screaming. Right, right. All along the way. Yeah. Bank of America plans to raise fees for thousands of customers at Merrill Lynch uh, as part of the overhaul and the way it charges for account services. Some of the uh, clients may end up paying as much as 50% more to have their money managed according to new rate schedule distributed to... Uh, <laughs> Merrill Lynch advisors. Um, 
The plan fee changes have upset some of Merrill's 14,000-plus advisors known as the Thundering Herd. If you are one of those advisors, Ethan, what advice do you have? You should give us a call. Give us a call. We, we can talk um, about it. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help you with those clients. That's right. Um, and highly, high likelihood that we would actually reduce the cost to the client um, in the way that we would pr- and provide the advice. Uh, who are concerned that higher costs may drive clients away and reduce their ability to charge us to their best customers. Takes away all the pricing flexibility we had before, said one Merrill advisor. And uh, without reading the whole article, basically it looks like some of their um, fee schedule, which is uh, more specific, will have a minimum of 1.6 for accounts up to 250000 1.4% for 250 to 500 1.3 for $500 to $1 million. Um, and for one million to two million accounts, the minimum is one percent. Hey, I'm I'm pretty sure that this doesn't include. Let's say you have a a portfolio of mutual funds inside with Merrill Lynch inside your account. I'm positive that this one point six percent for accounts up to two fifty and one point four percent for accounts from two fifty to five hundred doesn't include the internal cost of any of the funds, probably. So in other words, the real cost, total cost, is going to be even more than that. But and what concerns me is they they are into so many different things. Yeah. They make money selling you credit cards, selling you mortgages, selling you insurance, selling you annuities, making markets and stocks, underwriting stock. They're making money in so many different ways that what they charge you directly to put you into a managed product is not the end all of how they're being compensated. That's true. I mean, that, that's the and one that's most obvious probably here, but like you said, there's going to be other... All stuff. of those other arrangements could potentially have a negative impact on the on what you wind up, the advice and the, and the strategy that you wind up in over the time. I'd also venture to guess that this, this advice isn't comprehensive. I would be, I'd be very surprised if any of this includes tax advice, you know, or, or ongoing retirement planning or Social Security advice or advice with other areas of your financial life. It's simply just a fee for them to help you pick investments. I like the idea, and we are striving here to provide expertise in a broad variety of areas. Um, And to the degree that we can do that um, and maintain the objective position in the advice, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a good thing. It's where we're... Where, where you lose that, you know, where it's, hey, everything leads to where the most com- greatest amount of commission winds up being a revenue for the company, um, I have a problem with. Sure. And that's the part of it that, that bothers me about these arrangements with the brokerage companies, um, is there's this ever-present system where the brokers or the advisors are very aware of how they get compensated on what types of products that they're utilizing. Um, the company is very aware of which products generate the most profit of for course. the company, and those get emphasized. Yes. And the actual thing that may generate the least amount of profit for the company is the time and expertise spent on the planning part, right? Mm-hmm. Because doing a plan and getting the right strategies, things like tax management, they don't necessarily generate an immediate profit for the company, right? When we take the time, to talk to someone about converting assets into Roth accounts, there isn't an immediate 
pop or something that we that we won't get anything out of that. Actually, it's probably a net negative, at least initially, because it takes time and energy and resources, right? Yeah, and plus, you know, in terms of how this real quick, how we get compensated, yeah. right? Uh, we get compensated based on the assets under management. So if the client has to pay tax on a conversion, you know, in other words, you're paying money actually is going out of the account physically, right, to pay the taxes a lot of right, times. Right. So actually, we actually are managing less money and therefore actually making less money. But we know it's the right thing to do to increase the, the, the wealth of, this, of our clients over time. That's why we're doing it. Anyway, because we didn't start 100 years ago with this, with this back culture of, right. hey, stocks and investments are, are meant to be sold to people for a commission, mm-hmm. like you're selling a piece of real estate or right. something, that, that, that was so, gra- so built into their process and all these products, right, that get rolled out. It's much easier to say, hey, well, really what we're trying to do is, is to help people make the best possible financial solutions, make that incredibly transparent, and hopefully over time, they'll see the value of the ongoing relationship Certainly. that we have. We don't have to be jamming them into insurance and annuities and mortgages and things that, you know, if they need those things, that's great. That's part of the process. Either we've got to take another break. Uh, we come back for our last segment. Maybe we, if there is another segment, yeah, we can uh, talk about uh, a little uh, different investment uh, focus. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back. To Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, we're entering our, our last segment of the day as Ken joins us here. Um, 
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can reach us at 866-472-5790 and throughout the week here at the uh, beautiful Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle at 206-923-3474. Feel free to give us a call and ask for Ken or Ethan. We'll be happy to speak with you. All right, Ken, this is our last segment. What, are we going to change gears here a little bit? Are we going to, Let's change gears. Is, is there another article we can talk about uh, with some other brokerage firms? There's a lot, but uh, I think we've done our job for the day. <laughs> All right, good. On that, and um, so I thought maybe we could take on a, um, an investment topic here real quick. Let's see one of these are shorter articles here. Uh, retirees face high stock prices and low bond yields. The best investment right now may simply be cash by Brett Ahrens. This is another personal finance section of the Wall Street Journal, something that's come up a lot. And so I thought, hey, let's let's take tackle this head on. All right. I don't think we're going to be able to get through it all today, but um, yeah. at least our portion of it. But I could hit some of the highlights of the article, and then I think a lot of it is, is bad advice. Yeah, and boy. And I feel kind of like that's part of our job is to square these things away. Sure. Um, yeah. Goofy. I mean, the, 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 the sub... Title is the uh, the best investments right now may be simply cash, uh, and it may is, be if if you need the money to buy a house in the next month, for example, right? Yeah, right. So everything has to be put into proper context. Yeah, is what I always say. Conventional. Let's get into this real quick. Conventional wisdom usually uh, advises older investors and retirees to balance a portfolio of bonds, stocks, and annuities to squeeze the most from their savings during the third stage of life. But recent events on Wall Street and in Washington, including a booming stock market and Federal Reserve warnings about tapering its easy money policies, suggest those investors may need to junk conventional wisdom and think again. I love it. Stocks may be too expensive. Hey, this, hey, oh. Ken, this, ho, ho. I'm telling you right now, this time's different. It's different. How many times have you heard that before, right? This is different. We've got to come up, come up with a new strategy. Let's throw out all the tried and true stuff like diversification and stuff like that and throw it out the window and start over from scratch as if none of this ever stuff ever happened before. It blows my mind a little bit. Um, you know, I think when you're trying to write articles, Ethan, this is what we've cautioned our clients and investors about over and over again. Yeah. If you are, if you are a financial journalist trying to make your bones in this industry, you can't just keep writing things like stay diversified, hold the course, listen to your qualified financial advisor. Right. All right. How will you make a difference? Right. And there's very few. Like Jason Zweig is a good, pretty good guy that's figured out how to how to incorporate some of that, yeah, and uh, and, and still be very popular, I guess. But but it seems like that you have to take some approach that um, you're you are some kind of a, a maverick of some sort, and and that you're proposing something different and unique, and a timely, you know, in a, in a very timely way. Yeah. Now that may be incredibly detrimental to whoever reads this and acts on it, but that's the overall results that somebody gets taking this advice is not the concern of the publication or the author. That's right. In a lot of the cases, it's that's right. how many people do I get to read it? And you have to come up with something different. So once you understand that, at least when you're reading these articles, and that's what we really want to get across to to you if you're listening to this is. You have to understand where they're coming from, and if you do, at least you can read it. There, there is interesting insights that we get out of a lot of articles and, and things, but I find that a very large percentage of it 
knowing what we know is a little odd because as a professional, it would be like being a doctor and reading these articles week after week going, wow, I would never do that to a patient. I'd never do that to myself or my family if I was treating them. That's right. But yet someone who's not doing that on a day-in and day-out basis is writing all these health articles. Yeah. 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 So it goes on to, uh, thank you, Simon, uh, to say that um, stocks may be too expensive um, oh, hang on. The recent events on Wall Street and in Washington include a booming stock market and Federal Reserve warnings about tapering its easy money policy. Suggest those investors may need to junk conventional think again. Stocks may be too expensive, while bonds are likely to fall as the Fed pulls back and interest rates rise. The best answer for many investors right now may simply be cash, money market funds, or short-term CDs. That's especially true for retirees. I guess that's true if they don't need a longer-term hedge of inflation. Now, if you've got enough money where you can have inflation, Ethan, year in and year out, and because you have so much, if you're Bill Gates, I don't know that he needs to worry in his lifetime about staying ahead of inflation with his investments. True. He could simply take those and take a certain amount out every year and earn zero return. Matter of fact, he could even earn a negative return, <laughs> right? He could, we could probably impose a negative rate of return on his portfolio, um, and he could survive happily, right, through his lifetime and probably yours and other people's probably lifetimes true, as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So in that particular case, that's great. The issue that you have with all of this is already in the article, and I can tell we're not going to have enough time. But, sure. Um, I don't know if there'll be enough time. Either. <laughs> uh, is that that unless you are a, a very uh, engaged investor who is one of – you know, several thousand in percentage that you can determine when to get in and out of things. And we were saying earlier that even the fact that this person here, Brett, is saying, well, stocks are too expensive. Where was he in 2009 in March? Was he yelling out stocks are too cheap and get 10 years worth of your retirement return on stocks by buying now? Right. Right, because if you were expecting 10% a year on stocks on average and they went up uh, 100%, you just got a pretty good chunk of a decade worth of returns, if that's the way you were thinking about it, for example. But where were these guys? You know, we were reading nothing but the opposite. They were all stock. saying head for the hills in 2009. And even in the beginning of this year and last year, um, now now it's stocks markets booming, and now it's it's overvalued. Well, nobody was saying to get into it. The whole time, it was supposedly cheap. In the last five years, all I've been hearing is you know, expect low returns of stock markets because that's what's right. going to happen. Over I'm, I'm still waiting for the low returns to come. Over and over again. You know? it's, so anyway, uh, the stock market has been hitting new highs amid growing hopes that the economy is rebounding. Well, the, the, it's, indis, it's, it's not up for dispute that corporate earnings have gone up, Ethan. So stock markets have been rebounding, but part of that is because earnings have gone up. Yeah, that's you know, right. When we, it, in 2008... Right for the year we had in two thousand nine we had sixty dollars a share on the S and P five hundred of, of earnings, and now we have one hundred and two dollars a share of in two thousand twelve. Um, so that makes stocks more valuable today than they were yesterday. They earn more money, Ethan. If you put more money in your bank account and you earn more, are you worth more or less than the previous year? I think I'm worth more. You're worth more. That's right, right. and exactly. that's why the people why the market has recovered. Um, and it's in excess of, I mean, prior to the, the decline, 2006, uh, six, 
was the peak before the before the crisis. The per share earnings was eighty seven dollars and seventy two cents, mm-hmm. and we're at one hundred and two. So we're earning. Companies are earning more than they were prior to the crisis occurred. Had occurred. That's right. So what would concern me about stocks being overvalued, if it was if that was something I had a huge concern about, part of that discussion then should be, well, geez, we're, we we were earning eighty seven dollars prior to the market going down, and say today we're only earning forty dollars, and, and I don't see out. any way out of that. We're going to continue to earn forty, <laughs> and maybe less over the next ten years. Right. Well, that would be a whole different. I I, I would. I would entertain that discussion, yeah. but simply because the market rebounded, and not only did earnings recover to back to where they were prior to the, the crisis, but they've actually gone up an enormous amount, doesn't necessarily mean that it's overvalued. Right. So we're going to run out of time here, Ethan. Can't maybe we can finish this discussion. Clearly, our advice would not be to put all your money in cash and just sit there and wait for stocks to get cheap, right, or bond interest rates to go through the roof. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. will be the first thing we talk about next week. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio, and uh, we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 